you have a Bible with you this morning, open it with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11. And today we're giving our attention to verses 27 through 33. Mark 11, 27 through 33, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. A couple of uh, reminders. Uh, one reminder, I should say, and one announcement before we get to the text this morning. Uh, do remember and uh, make your plans to join us this evening at 5 p.m. on our campus for our church family and friends picnic. Uh, the varsity food truck will be here. We'll have some games available for uh, the young ones and old ones as well. Uh, but if you're making your plans to be with us this evening, uh, we do encourage you and would suggest uh, bring a lawn chair with you. We'll gather here on the front campus and uh, kind of sit up in the, uh, the grassy areas, try to find the shaded areas usually. Uh, but it's always a fun evening, and I hope that you'll make your plans to be here with us. Uh, we do have uh, a few uh, slots available. If you would still like to put a cornhole team together and jump into that tournament that'll be going on, uh, you can see Jeremy Digsby, uh, our executive minister, and he can get you signed up for that. Uh, but we do invite you to come back and be with us this evening at 5 p.m. for all of that fun and fellowship. Uh, and we have this uh, occasion this evening uh, in commemoration of the anniversary of the founding of Poplar Springs Baptist Church. Uh, this Sunday uh, marks, uh, I believe, uh, if I can do my math real quickly, uh, 18, we're in 23, so what is that, five more years, so 180 years, am I right with that? I think it's the 180th birthday of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, our 180th anniversary. And so we praise the Lord for his faithfulness to us across the years here at Poplar Springs. And so come out and join us for this evening as we just enjoy a time of fun and fellowship together. Secondly, uh, before we get to the text this morning, over uh, the Sundays in April, you had the opportunity to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. This offering goes to support uh, the work of missions in North America. It goes to support uh, the work of our church planning partners that we come alongside. And we also use a portion of it uh, to do ministry and mission work right here in our own community, to reach out to our neighbors with the gospel. And you gave this year uh, toward a goal of $20,000. I'm excited to share with you what you gave uh, to the offering over the month of April. Are you ready for this? $27,645. So that is absolutely incredible. And uh, Poplar Springs, I appreciate your willingness to give generously and sacrificially. I appreciate your heart uh, to be a church and to be a people who are on mission uh, to make much of God together. All right, let's get into the word this morning. Mark chapter 11. Uh, we've come to the final uh, act in Mark's gospel. We are now with Jesus in what we oftentimes refer to as uh, Holy Week or Passion Week. Uh, chapter 11 begins with what we oftentimes think of as Palm Sunday, where Jesus makes his triumphal procession to Jerusalem. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Monday of Holy Week as Jesus cursed the fig tree and then a temple, the temple as well, both for their uh, lack of fruit. And this morning we come to the Tuesday of Holy Week as we pick up in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. I'm going to read, you follow along and hear God's word today. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. 
and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But we shall, but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray once more. Our sovereign God, we give our thanks to you for this, your holy word. Lord, we are reminded this morning that the grass of the field, it withers. The flowers, they fade. But your word, O Lord, it stands forever. And so, Lord, we pray for the help of your spirit now as we look into it. Speak for your servants are listening. Father, I pray for your help as we proclaim it. May it go forth in demonstration and power, and may you use it to accomplish your good and eternal purposes. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see, give us ears, O Lord, that we might hear. And Father, make our hearts soft to believe what your word says today. For we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. I imagine there's a few among us this morning who are fans of the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, Some of you probably grew up watching it. Some of you probably still watch it, even as the reruns are replayed still today. But I also realize there's probably some of you here who have no idea what the Andy Griffith Show even is. You've never seen an episode. So if you're not familiar with the show, uh, you need to know that it follows the life of a widowed sheriff named Andy Taylor, set in the small town of Mayberry. And then alongside the sheriff was his number one deputy, uh, the lovable, laughable, well-meaning, always enthusiastic and animated Barney Fife. And many of the show's plots, the storylines, they turned on the attempts of Deputy Fife uh, to keep law and order in easygoing Mayberry. Well, there was one episode in which Barney in Mayberry, encountered a few farmers who were setting up to sell their goods inside the city limits. Well, that was against the Mayberry ordinances. It was against the law. So Barney, being Barney, set about to instruct them and to correct them and to tell them they simply couldn't do that. They would have to relocate outside the city limits. Well, the guys he was encountering were much bigger than he, as you can imagine, And they used their size and bravado to simply send Barney away uh, with his head down, scared for his well-being. Well, as the show continues on later, Andy, Sheriff Andy, comes along, encounters the same guys, confronts them, uh, but rather uh, than retreat as Barney did as they tried to uh, press Andy in the same fashion, Sheriff Taylor simply stood his ground and pointed to the badge that he was wearing upon his chest. That badge was a representation of the authority that he possessed. And as those that he encountered recognized the law that was behind him, the authority uh, underneath that badge, they simply relocated to another place of business. Now, why do I share that illustration? Because our text today is one that's clearly about authority. It's one about recognizing authority. 
if you were looking and listening carefully as we read the passage, uh, you notice that four times in three verses, the word authority itself is used. But the text is not speaking about the authority of a fictional sheriff in a small fictional town, but rather it's speaking of the authority of the Savior that was on display in the temple. Our study of Mark's gospel has centered around his theme of the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, That's what Mark's aim is. That's what he's showing us over and over and over again. Jesus is the Son of God. But connected to that, there's a thread that's woven through Mark's gospel as well. It's the, the thread, the theme of authority, that Jesus possesses authority. And Mark establishes this authority early on in his gospel. When we go all the way back to the very first chapter in Mark 1, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, as he's teaching there in the synagogue, verse 22 tells us that those who heard him were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And then just a few verses later in Mark chapter 1, verse 27 Uh, The Bible says again that they were all amazed and they questioned among themselves saying, what is this a teaching uh, with authority? And he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And then when you get to Mark chapter two, uh, Jesus encounters a paralytic individual brought to him. Jesus uh, pronounces his sins forgiven and the Pharisees, the scribes and the audience, they're, they're blown away at that. They question the authority, and Jesus says to them in Mark 2, verse 10, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the lame man was healed instantaneously. In Mark chapter 3, as Jesus is calling his delegated representatives, the apostles to himself, He gives them divine authority. He delegates authority to them uh, to exercise and to cast out demons. And this is just the very beginning of Mark's gospel. But all throughout, we see this theme of Jesus' authority on display. We could say it like this. The badge of his identity as the Son of God gives rise to his absolute and complete authority. The authority of Jesus is presented to us in the text as he goes once again to the temple. Now, as we look into the Word of God this morning, as we look at this particular passage, uh, there's three scenes that unfold. I simply want to walk through the passage with you, give you three headings to help understand what's taking place in this conversation that Jesus has with the religious leaders, and then hopefully draw two points of application. uh, How the authority of Jesus shapes your life and my life today. So let's look back at the text. Scene number one, there's a confrontation that unfolds. A confrontation that unfolds. This is verses 27 through 30. Mark tells us in verse 27 that they came again to Jerusalem. This is Jesus along with his apostles, his disciples. They they have gone back to Bethany for the evening. It's now Tuesday morning, Tuesday, and they've come back to Jerusalem, and he's gone once again to the temple. And Mark tells us that he was walking in the temple. Now this should kind of jump off the page to us, because as we saw last Sunday, when Jesus went to the temple, he made quite the scene. He literally turned everything on its head. He was turning over tables. 
He was casting people out. He was prohibiting people from walking through. He was driving out animals that were being sold there for sacrifices. It was really quite the thing to behold. And now Jesus, filled with determination and unrelenting boldness and courage, he goes right back to the same place. And when he gets there, Mark tells us that he was walking about in the temple. He's not standing off in a corner. He's not hiding in the shadows. He's out in the open, walking And Matthew's gospel gives us this insight as well. He was walking and teaching. And that makes sense because as we've seen in the ministry of Jesus, he predominantly went everywhere on foot. He was walking. But as he walked, he taught. He was a walking teacher. It was a common practice of rabbis in that day. And Jesus is doing it once more here on a new day in the temple in plain sight of absolutely everyone. And among those who could see him, Mark tells us were the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. When Mark describes these three groups of individuals, uh, he's not thinking of them in isolation from each other. But these three parties, uh, they come together to form what's known as the Sanhedrin. Uh, Think of this as the Jewish Supreme Court in that culture. Uh, This was the elite religious leadership in Jesus' day, comprised of these three groups, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. They had charge over the temple. They kind of had charge over Jewish practice and custom. Uh, They were also kind of a liaison between the Jewish people, the Jewish culture, and the Roman oppression that they were all living under. And so they're present. They see Jesus once again coming into the temple, and they approach him. And in verse 28, we're told that they asked him a question. They want to know, By what authority are you doing these things? And to these things, it's not just a reference to the prior ministry of Jesus, what he has done up until this point in the three, three and a half years of his public ministry, but even more specifically, these things, turning over tables, running people out of the temple, chasing out the animal sacrifices. Who gives you the right to come into this place where we are in charge and do such crazy things. Who do you think you are? Now, in this question, they're seeking to exalt themselves, certainly, but they're also seeking to to make Jesus look silly in, in the eyes of public opinion, because in essence, they're asking Jesus for his credentials. They're, they're asking him, who, who trained you? Who taught you? You see, we're all trained in these things. We've got our papers. We've got our diplomas. We've got our certificates. Uh, we, we know where we come from, but who are you and who gave you the right to do the things that you have done? They were wanting to make Jesus look bad. One commentator said it like this. They were attempting to discredit him in the eyes of the people. They wanted them to see uh, Jesus as just a hick from the sticks. He was from Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth, a nobody. He has nothing attached to his name. Why should you have any authority? They approach Jesus. They ask this question of him. And then Jesus gives his response in verse 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man answer me. Now, we read 
Jesus' response, and it can be troubling to us. As Jesus is approached by the Sanhedrin with this question of his authority, he seems to dodge or deflect what they're wanting to know from him. It seems almost as if Jesus is being somewhat elusive here. We want to know who gives you the right to do these things. Who do you think you are? And Jesus seems to skirt that, doesn't he? Well, not exactly. In Jewish culture, for rabbis, when they were approached with a question, it was often common for them uh, to give a question in response. They would answer a question with a question. So it wasn't uncommon. Uh, Those he is dealing with here, they weren't put off with this, as we might be. But Jesus hears their question, and so he gives them one. He says, you answer me, and then I will answer you. Now let's be clear here. Jesus isn't seeking to avoid any answer. He's first seeking to gain one from them, and then he will give the answer that they're asking for. So in this confrontation, Jesus asked them the question, tell me this, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Jesus brings up the issue of authority in relation to John the Baptist. That's who the John is in the text. Is the baptism of John the Baptist, is it derived from God? Or was this something John just did on his own? Now, again, that sounds strange to us. The spotlight is clearly on Jesus. Uh, This is Holy Week. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is encountered uh, with a question about his authority, and he seems to put the spotlight back on John the Baptist. Well, we've got to understand the connection that Jesus is drawing here. There's a pivotal connection between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 1, Uh, John the Apostle, John the Gospel writer, he writes about the ministry of John the Baptist. He tells us in John 1 verse 6 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So the purpose of the ministry of John the Baptist was to point people to Jesus Christ. You remember what John said? He said, I must decrease and he must. John was the forerunner. John was the preparer. John was the one who would make the way of Jesus Christ known and possible. John goes on in his gospel and he gives us some insight into the ministry of John the Baptist. When we get to John chapter one, verse 18, this is what the Bible says. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. This is his witness. Listen to it. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Don't miss that. Where is Jesus? Jerusalem. Who is he dealing with? The religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites. So in John's day, John the Baptist, in his ministry, those from Jerusalem, the same people that Jesus is dealing with now, had sent people to uh, inquire from John about his ministry, about his authority. They came to him, and here's what John said. John chapter 1, verse 20, he confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. They asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. These guys are always wanting answers, aren't they? John, we got to go back and tell them something. What do we tell them? They asked him, what do you say about yourself? And here's what he said. 
I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight uh, the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now why do I share all of that? Because Jesus is placing them in a corner. They come to Jesus with this question in the midst of a confrontation seeking to attack Jesus, to diminish the reputation that he has among the people, to hold him liable and accountable for the actions that he has committed already that week in the temple. And Jesus turns the table on them. And that brings us to the second scene, a consultation. Verses 31 and 32. As they hear the reply of Jesus with his question regarding John the Baptist, in verse 31, all the religious elite, they come together in what we might call an unholy huddle. They discussed it with one another. And here's where Jesus had them. They understood that if we say, John's authority, it comes from heaven, it comes from God, he will say, well, why then did you not believe him? Here's the believe him that he's getting at. Why didn't you believe what he said about me? If you recognize that John's authority is from God above, that he was sent as a witness to the Messiah, and John gave testimony that I am the Messiah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he is not the Christ, but I am the Christ. If that is his authority, why don't you believe him? And they understood, man, if we say his authority is from heaven, we're, we're in a bad way. But they also understood that if we say that John got his authority from man, that is, that this was just John's own doing. This was just John making things up, John acting like a crazy man out in, out in the middle of nowhere, eating locusts and wild honey and wearing uh, all kinds of crazy clothing. If we say John did this of his own doing, the people will turn on us. Because the people believed truly that John really was a prophet from God, that he was sent by God and did the ministry and the work of a prophet. So the religious leader in a corner to say that, that John had his authority from heaven would mean that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. To deny that it came from heaven and it was of man, then the people would turn upon them. They were snared by their fear of man and their desire to keep their own place of authority. Jesus had placed them in a corner. And in verse 33, they give their reply to Jesus. They answered, we do not know. If you're making notes this morning, you've got verse 33 down for some notes. Just write down in big letters, that's a lie. They absolutely knew. They absolutely understood. They knew clearly who Jesus was. Not only by the things that Jesus had done during his ministry, 
but by the ministry of John the Baptist as well, the testimony that he had given to Jesus as the Messiah. They knew they were without excuse. Listen to me, as we're thinking about the authority of Jesus, the authority of God in our lives and in our world, listen to me, no one today is without excuse. Everyone knows. Regardless of what the culture may say today, regardless of what the world may think today, it is clearly known that God is over all. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 1 as he offers his indictment of all humanity In verse 19, he says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul goes on to say that not only through creation, but through the conscience of every man, we know there is a God. And we know that he is supreme and that he is ruler and sovereign and creator of all. We simply cannot say we do not know. This was their consultation. Let me just add this in before we get to the last scene. Isn't it amazing that this group, the Sanhedrin, numbered 71 men, We're not told exactly if they were all present that day. It's very possible and perhaps even likely that they were given the events of the preceding day. It's kind of those all hands on deck moment. But think about this. You've got 71 revered men in Jewish culture, 71 uh, perhaps the brightest and wisest in the law that Jewish culture can provide, and they come together in this huddle to put their minds together, to put their thoughts together and how they can respond to Jesus. And the best that they can come up with is, we do not know. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. It was an unprofitable consultation. And then this ultimately leads to the last scene of condemnation. In the last part of verse 33, Jesus answers them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Those are perhaps some of the saddest words in Mark's gospel. Jesus has been a public teacher, preacher. We've heard Jesus say many times, truly I say to you, truly I say to you. But now in this moment, Jesus is saying nothing else. Now in this moment, Jesus gives no further uh, disclosure of who he is and why he has come. They have squandered an opportunity You see, they really weren't interested in the authority of Jesus at all. Jesus knew this. Jesus understood this. Their only care, their only concern was the position that they held, the power that they possessed, and making sure that he could do nothing to disrupt that. And in this moment, they had perhaps turned away for the final time this week the opportunity that they had to know the grace of God. 
From this point forward, as we continue through Holy Week uh, with Jesus, there's, there's no further encounter of this type with Jesus and the religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders of the law. The opportunity that was before them to receive grace, to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, to humble themselves before him, they missed it. What an important reminder to us that God's spirit will not always strive with man. What an important reminder to us that there's an expiration on the grace of Jesus Christ. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Don't miss the opportunity that you have. Hear Jesus speak today. Hear Jesus call today. Hear Jesus say, truly I say unto you, all who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Hear Jesus say today, uh, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Hear Jesus speak today. Because one day, he may say nothing else. Jesus gives his condemnation to those that confronted him with their question. So what do we do with this passage? It's a text that's clearly about authority. So how does this authority of Jesus touch our lives? Well, let me give you two points of application this morning very quickly. Number one, the text before us calls us to recognize the authority of Jesus. To recognize the authority of Jesus. This is what the passage is all about. See the authority that Jesus possesses. Know where his authority comes from. As we think about recognizing the authority of Jesus, let me, let me share with you four ways uh, that we need to do so. First of all, we need to see it as a universal authority. A universal authority. What I mean by that is that Jesus possesses authority over absolutely all. In, in Matthew 28, as Jesus gives the great commission to his followers, he begins by telling them, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. There is no place at no time in which Jesus does not have all authority. Mark's gospel has gone to great lengths to demonstrate this, to establish the authority of Jesus. He has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness and disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority when he teaches in the synagogue. Jesus has a universal authority. We can't miss that. He's Lord over all. Secondly, uh, we need to recognize the authority of Jesus as being scriptural. Scriptural. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Uh, preacher, I hear you talking about Jesus standing in the temple. I hear you talking about 71 guys that come, come from our, or compose a Sanhedrin. I hear you talking about all of these things that happened a long time ago. What bearing does the authority of Jesus have upon me today? Well, the authority of Jesus is communicated to us through his word. Jesus is the living word, and we have before us uh, the written word, and that word carries the authority of Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for working out righteousness in us. So what this means is, is we need to understand the authority of Jesus in light of the commands that God gives us in his word. This is the authority that Jesus is speaking to us today, calling us to see today. I wonder, do you recognize that? That God's word is not a book of suggestions that is laid before us? That it's not a book of opinions? No, it is the, the, the word of God, thus saith the Lord, the commands of God. 
the decrees of God. This is God's word, and it has authority over our lives. Our lives are to be lived in, uh, in, in, in shape, uh, in, in, in conforming to the word of God. I wonder, does that authority shape your life? Jesus has all authority, and his authority is expressed in Scripture. And then thirdly, we need to recognize the authority of Jesus personally. This is the sticking point. We're, we're not entirely opposed to authority, are we? I mean, we like police officers. We, we like aspects of government. But when it gets personal, we struggle, don't we? We, we like the officers until the blue lights are flashing in our rearview mirror and we're cited for going 16 over the speed limit. And then at that point, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Why are you giving me a ticket? It's the same way with Jesus Christ. We love the idea of Jesus. Man, he's a great guy. He's, a, he's got a lot of good things going for him. In fact, he's a savior. He will rescue you from eternal damnation in hell. Man, this Jesus guy's all right. But let me tell you something. He's not just savior. He's also Lord. And as Lord, he has complete rule and reign over your life. Jesus would say, why do you call me a Lord but not do what I have commanded you? This is the personal touching of the authority of Jesus in our lives. And I'm afraid there are many in the American church today that they've got a Jesus who is Savior, but they want nothing to do with Jesus as Lord. And I'm telling you, if you don't have him as Savior and Lord, you don't have him at all. He is not a schizophrenic Savior. He is Savior and Lord. And as Lord, He has rule and reign and authority over your life. Your life is to be lived in in obedience to His commands, conforming to His will, to His standards. We need to see His authority as being personal upon our lives. And then fourthly, we need to recognize His authority as eternal. And what I mean to communicate by this is that Jesus stands as the arbiter. Jesus stands as the door of eternal destinies. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear me say this. You are not the master of your destiny. You don't control your destiny. I'll tell you who does. Jesus Christ. Because he stands at the door of eternity and one day he will judge all. And to some, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Those who did not acknowledge his authority, receive his authority, submit to his authority. But to those who do, he will welcome them in to the joys of heaven. He will welcome them in to an eternity with him. But know this, Jesus has eternal authority. In John chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus proclaimed, That he, that is the Father, has given him, that is Jesus, authority to execute judgment. And one day he will. In the first advent, he came as a humble baby. And in the first advent, he entered Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey. But in his second coming, in his second coming, he's coming with all authority. And he's coming to rule and reign with a rod and iron. He's coming to execute judgment upon this earth. We must recognize the authority of Jesus. But secondly, the authority of Jesus 
is something that we must respond to. We simply can't recognize it. We've got to respond to it. It's not enough today to leave knowing, yes, Jesus is sovereign over all things. He has authority over all creation. He hangs out the stars. He causes the sun to shine. He lets birds fly in the sky. He has authority over my life. It's in Scripture. It's personal. And yes, He is the door of eternity. Yes, you may know all those things, but you must also respond to them. And the text presents us with the incorrect option. The religious elite were confronted with the authority of Jesus and they pushed it off. They denied it. They say, we do not know. Two options you have. One is to be like them. To reject the authority of Jesus and face the condemnation that comes with that as a consequence. Or, or today, you can accept him as Lord and Savior. You can reject him or you can accept him. That's the only two options placed before you today. So I wonder as you think about the authority of Jesus with me, as you've seen it today uh, in this text, as he has confronted you with his authority, what will your response be? Will you come to him in humble submission? Will you come to him in complete surrender? You see, we live in a a church world today where we talk about believing, but we never tell people what believing is. Believing in Jesus for salvation is not ascribing to uh, historical facts. It's not an intellectual assent to say, yeah, I believe all of these things that are written before me in the Bible. It's not to even acknowledge that, yeah, uh, he lived, he died, he was raised. I, I I can believe that. No, believing in Jesus Christ is that, but it's more. Believing in Jesus is surrendering your life to Him. It's laying your life down before Him. It's acknowledging that He is Lord over all. And so today, as we see so clearly the authority of Jesus on display, if you're here today and don't know Him, my call to you is to come and lay your life down before Him. See the authority of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be humble before you. That we would see and we would know the authority that Jesus Christ possesses. That He is Lord over all. He is Lord over our lives. He's Lord of eternity. And Father, I pray for Your children here today that, Lord, they would know His authority in their life. That there would be no place where Christ is not ruling and reigning And Lord, in those areas where we struggle, in those areas where we would like to say we don't know, oh God, bring conviction. Bring correction. Apply grace, oh Lord, that we may surrender all to you. And Father, I pray for perhaps those among us today, Lord, they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. They've 
given no consideration that he is Lord. They had no thought of how they should live for him or his will for their lives or a desire to make his glory known. Father, I pray today that they would see, they would hear, they would know. And Lord, that they would not walk away, but they would lay their lives down in repentance and faith. Holy Spirit, would you work in each heart now and may the work done bring honor and glory to you, O Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.